Hey, Grace Hill family, how are you? Good to see you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill and excited to jump into God's Word with you. If I haven't met you, we'd love to be able to chat with you in the lobby afterwards today. Hey, I wanted to, I wanted to say something real quick before we jumped into uh, the sermon for the day. Um, you know, the past, the past three or four days for me have been really tough. Um, I, I received a call on Thursday from a, from a friend, um, about another friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine. He's, he doesn't minister in this area. He's in another state. But this guy and me are really, really close. And um, this call was about a moral failure that he had. And just wrecked me. And it wrecked me because, number one, he's just, he's a, He's, he's my boy, um, but, but second is because um, it's just devastating what shame and sin can do in isolation. When you feel like, I have nowhere to turn, I have nowhere to go, there's no one safe in my life to share what's going on, that if I do share that, everyone's going to disown me. And a lot of pastors get cornered in this area because they really feel that, that if anything gets found out about me, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my job, I'm going to lose my ministry, I'm going to lose my reputation, everyone's going to disown me and everything. And he's just backed into a corner right now. So it's been hard, hard for me. At the very same time, uh, I, was, I, I was having this revelation on Thursday morning, and that's the day that I received this call of just the many ways this week that I have witnessed, really spontaneously, you caring for each other. Like things like running into you as you're at restaurants together with Bibles open, encouraging each other with the word, or things like, you know, uh, seeking someone out that you know is hurting and laying hands and praying for healing in their life and Things like groups of people getting together just to encourage each other, to watching community groups, my group, and hearing stories from other groups, holding space for really hard stories, and, and giving space to someone to share something really, really hard in their life, and caring for each other in the midst of that, and creating an environment where we can say, no, it is safe here to be able to share what's going on with you. That, that sin and shame don't have to be in isolation here. It doesn't have to kill. It doesn't have to devastate. And so I remember Thursday morning, I was just thinking, like, I am so proud of this church. And in ways that you're caring for each other that I have, I have zero to do with, nothing to do with it. And at the same time, I get this call about my friend where shame and sin was isolated and it created a lot of harm. So I just wanted to say, number one, I'm just so proud of you, Grace Hill, uh, just the ways that you care for each other. And number two, let's keep going. Let's keep going. You know what our mission is as a church. It is to be a church, that a diverse community that loves, follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. And the reason why we have to be safe to be known is because sin and shame will kill you in isolation. And that's not what Jesus' will is for you. So I'm proud of you, Grace Hill. I'm thankful. I just wanted to share that with you uh, this morning. Amen? Love you guys. Let's jump in. You know, about 
I don't know, you could correct me on the date, 12 years ago maybe, um, my wife really wanted to go see uh, a new movie that had just come out. It was the next edition or new version, I guess, of Les Miserables, all right, with Hugh Jackman. Did you all see that one with Hugh Jackman? Um, and th- I think that was 11, 12 years ago, maybe something like that. And I-, I wasn't excited to go at the time. I really wasn't into musicals, still really am not into musicals, but I, I tolerate them a little bit more now. But back then, I didn't really want to go, but Kim really wanted to see it, so I was like, great, let's, let's, let's go see it. I didn't realize that the entire movie would be a song. I didn't know that. And I also, I, at that time, I did not know the story of Les Mis. Like, I didn't know the story at all. I never read the book, never saw the play, never. But I, I went, and, and, and we enjoyed the movie. And of course, I'm in this movie, and there's this scene where, you know, main character Jean Valjean, he's just gets out of prison, he's on parole, and because of being on parole, he really can't build a life for himself anymore. And so this bishop of a church lets him take up shelter inside the church building. And Jean Valjean is caught stealing from the church, like so stealing from the people who are just very, you know, graciously giving him shelter. And so he gets caught, and the police got him, and, and so the bishop's coming back to the church, and of course, at this moment where Jean Valjean assumes that the bishop's going to be like, yeah, he stole from us, like, take him away, the bishop says to the authorities, no, 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 he didn't steal. That was a gift to it. No, that was a gift. That was a gift. You can go. And this bishop forgives him of his sin, doesn't press charges, and gifts him the silver candlesticks that were so valuable. Says, you can, you can actually have that. He, he shows grace upon Jean Valjean. And so I'm watching this scene unfold, and he sings this beautiful song. And of course, me, who doesn't like musicals, I have like tears streaming out my face, trying to make sure Kim doesn't see them. And this really beautiful moment, but it's such a beautiful story and scene about how grace transforms because the rest of the movie is about Jean Valjean. He's, he's a new person now. He's, he's different the way that he sees people. He now, he doesn't want to take from people anymore. He wants to give and he lives a life now of graciousness to others, gentleness towards others, service of others. It's what the entire story is about. This idea that grace transforms. It rounds off the edges of our character. The jagged edges, it, it causes us to be people who are gentle and peaceful and caring and kind and patient. You know, last week we started this new sermon series called Formed. And really it's a 10-week discipleship journey, not just a sermon series. And this whole series is about the idea that when we come to faith in Christ, Christ begins to form character in us. He begins to change us from the inside out into a new person, but he forms Christ-like character inside of us. And so we started last week with, okay, what is the foundation upon which Christ-like character is formed in us? And we went to Ephesians 2, and we studied that, and we said the foundation is God's intervening grace in our lives. God's grace 
in our lives. This, this reality that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were living according to our own ways. We had rejected God's ways. We had sinned against a holy God. And that holy God intervened in and through his son, Jesus. Sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins, give us his righteousness, and give us new life. He lavished us with his grace. He didn't just forgive us of our sins, but he promises us eternal life. That we will not be judged by those sins for the rest of our lives. And so he graciously loves us in this way. And we said that's the foundation upon which character is built. That when we encounter God's grace, just like in Les Mis, when we encounter God's grace, it transforms us. It begins to sprout what Galatians 5 would call the fruits of the Spirit. It turns us into someone who's more gentle and gracious and kind and patient with others because grace transforms us. And the reason that God begins this work of transformation and change and forming character in us is also because he gives us a calling now. See, when God's grace was intervened in our life, what happened is we were now brought into God's family. The Bible would call us citizens of God's kingdom, and God put a calling upon us that together as God's people, not alone, but together as God's people, as recipients of his grace, we would then represent him, our king, to this world. We would display the grace of God to this world. We would display the character of God to this world together as God's people in his church. And that requires Christ-like character. God is not looking for people who will simply preach his word. God is looking for people who will display his kingdom to the world. And so as the world looks upon the church, the will of God is this. We don't always live into this will, but the will of God is this, is that as he looks upon the church, that the, the world would see the fruits of the Spirit. That in our love with one another and in our love of our neighbor, they would see a people who is gentle and kind and gracious and patient and peaceful and joyful, and they would see the kingdom of God there. Like That is God's will for us, that our relationships, even when conflict happens, even when things get hard, that our relationships would actually display the character of Christ to the world so that all could see it. And that's the foundation that we're going to see our character built upon, God's grace and God's calling upon us to display his kingdom. And so as we go through this 10-week series and we think about God's character, Christ-like character being formed in us, we're always going to be coming back to those two things. It starts with God's grace, and it starts with his calling upon us. But now that we have that foundation, here's my question for this morning. What anchor do we have to help us know specifically how God wants us to represent him? What anchor do we have to know specifically what is true and what is good and what is right? What anchor do we have to know specifically the kind of character that God is seeking to form inside of us. And so to answer that question, I'd like for us to read together from 2 Timothy. And so if you have a Bible, you can open it 
to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read a good chunk here. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 10, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 5 to answer this question. Here's what it says. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Timothy, a pastor whom he was training for the ministry. Paul writes, he says, you, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul's saying, you've seen the fruits of the Spirit in me. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, all who desire to have Christ-like character formed inside of them will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, church, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Flavored by the fruits of the Spirit. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let me put my ribbon in there. What anchor do we have to help us know specifically what is true, what is good, what is right. Who is God? Who are we? How do we relate? What is the character that God wants to form in us? What is our anchor? It is the sacred writings. It is the scriptures, the word of God that we have in the 66 books of the Bible. This is what God has given us so that we may know Several things. All right, so actually I have four observations from the text that we just read. 
that, that I want us to get this morning. I'm going to go through these quickly. The first thing that we're taught in this text that we get from the scriptures is the scriptures are, this is chapter 3, verse 15, able to make us wise unto salvation. In other words, the scriptures are what teach us how we get salvation. The scriptures are what teach us about God's grace and what Christ has done for us and what it means to have faith in Christ. Without the scriptures, we are not able to obey, follow, or trust in God's word. The second observation I want you to see is that, this is from chapter 3, verse 16, that all of God's word, every bit of it, everything, is useful, profitable, for teaching and for training in righteousness and rebuke and reproof. All of it is used for God to form Christ-like character in us. And so the scriptures teach us how we get salvation and the scriptures teach us and train us and rebuke us and correct us on how Christ-like character is formed inside of us. All of God's word is profitable for that purpose. Third thing I want you to see from chapter 4 is that faithful church ministry will be centered on the teaching of God's word. That's exactly the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Preach the word when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Preach the word when people are persecuting you for it and when they're not persecuting you for it. Preach the word. It says be ready in season and out of season. I don't know what the in season and off season is. But maybe that means when you want to preach it and when you don't want to preach it, just preach it. Preach the word. All of church ministry ought to be centered on the preaching of God's word because it is our anchor. Fourth thing I want you to see in the text is that there will be opposition to that. There will be persecution for that. Did you catch that earlier in chapter 3 where it literally said, if you want Christ-like character to be formed in you, you will be persecuted. That's, that's strong language. What we see is there will be opposition and that there will be a day, I'm pretty sure we're in that day, there will be a day where people will deviate from God's word and they'll find teachers for themselves that will teach them the things that they want to be taught. And my goodness, aren't we in an era where your access to any teacher is right in your pocket right now? You can pull that thing out, tune me out if you want, tune anybody out. You can pull up any teacher you want. Your access to teaching is not limited at all. And so there will be a day where we will be tempted to deviate from God's word and go find a teacher that is going to teach us the things that we really want to hear. And so in these four observations of the text, here's the thing I want you to see. I want you to observe the posture that we're called to have to God's word. We are called to sit underneath the authority of God's word as people who are recipients of his unbelievable, unbelievable intervening grace. 
And so as people who've been recipients of his grace and his love and his kindness, as people who are having the fruits of the Spirit grown inside of us, of course, our posture to God's word is going to be one of, God, you have been nothing but good to me. I did not deserve your grace. I did not deserve your love. I did not deserve your intervention in my life. And so any word, any correction, any rebuke, any reproof and training and challenge that would come my way via your word, I humbly and joyfully receive it because of your grace. That's that's the posture. It's not just this power dynamic. Yes, there is a power dynamic at play, of course, but it's also a, God, I receive anything you say to me as good and beautiful and right and worth casting my life upon it. So contrast that with someone who says, I don't know if I agree with that. Or, I'm not sure if this should be applied to me today. Or, as sometimes I, you know, I have a couple of commentaries from, I have commentaries from a lot of different perspectives, and sometimes I'll read one that will say, ah, this one shouldn't, you shouldn't preach this text. Or I had a professor in college once say that, uh, hey, these scriptures, he put a list of scriptures on the, uh, 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 I think at the time it was an overhead Uh, thing. And he said, uh, yeah, that you can just take out of your Bible. And I think that kind of posture towards God's word is the kind of posture that Adam and Eve had toward God in Genesis 3. A posture that says, God, no, I actually want to be equal with you. I don't like that you have knowledge of good and evil. I want knowledge of good and evil too. I want to be able to make judgments apart from you, separate from you, alongside of you. I don't like this posture of being under you. And I just think that kind of person, I wonder, I question, have they experienced the intervening grace of God in their life? So they stand before God and they go, God, all I know is that I was a sinner. I was blind and now I see. I I don't know anything compared to you. So anything you say to me, I receive as as good. I, I don't know if that person has that kind of experience with God yet. Kind of like in John chapter 9, the blind man, Jesus makes this blind man see. And the Pharisees question him because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And hey, did Jesus heal you? And he's like, yeah. And like, well, how did he do it? And, and what do you think about the fact that it was on the Sabbath day? And, and what do you think about this, this, and this? And the blind man goes, I don't know. I just was blind about 30 minutes ago, and now I see. So yeah, I'm going to follow him. I don't got all the answers. I can't write an ex, uh, exegetical paper for you. But I know that I have just encountered the intervening grace of God. And so whatever he tells me to do, I'm doing This is the posture that we are called to have towards God's word. So I want you to see that when we encounter God's grace, we humbly and joyfully receive his word, and then we humbly and joyfully and graciously and patiently, that was in our text this morning, and patiently represent that word to the world.
So we need to be on guard. Our text this morning tells us that we need to be on guard for the subtle ways that we might be tempted to deviate from God's word and the subtle ways that we might be tempted to follow teachers who want to lead us away from God's word. And so what I want to do real quick is I just want us to help us think through ways that we might be tempted to deviate from God's word. Okay? I have two props. Hold on one second. Not really props, they're just posters, okay? I did it on the back of old Grace Hill signs. All right, so one way that we might be tempted to deviate from God's word is by taking away from God's word. Basically, I I give myself the posture of I can be the one to make judgments of what God's word ought to say and what it ought not to say. And if God's word disagrees with what I have to say, then we just simply take that out of our Bible, and we don't have to obey it. All right, take away from God's word. This is one extreme, extreme. All right, other way that we might be tempted is by adding to God's word. Or maybe another way to put this is reinterpret, clarify God's word according to what I want it to say. So what's interesting about these two sides is this side here tends to be more irreligious. All right, uh, they're getting further and further and further away from the scriptures, but this side here tends to be more and more religious. You could say that the Pharisees were guilty of this side, adding to God's word. So an example of this might be, you know, let's just say that God's word said in the law, hey, don't sit in that chair. Just don't do that. Well, Pharisees would do things like, okay, well, God's word says don't sit in the chair. So what we're going to say is don't look at the chair, don't be within five feet of the chair, don't breathe near the chair, don't even think of the chair. If you think of the chair, then you are breaking God's law. You get what they're doing. They're adding to God's word. God's word never said those things. So we have this spectrum here. On one side, taking away from God's word. On the other side, adding to. And here's the interesting thing about this spectrum. The closer we get to the extremes of both of these sides, the more combative people typically get towards each other and towards people who disagree with their position. So let me give you some examples. So a couple years ago, I think it's still lingering around today. It's not as much in the conversation, but the larger church had a big fight over social justice. Big old fight over that. On one end of this fight, on this corner, we had people who said, hey, when we read the Bible, God obviously deeply cares about justice, but he cares only about cosmic justice. And so God will, he will achieve all justice through the cross And that the only way the church ought to engage in justice at all is through the preaching of the gospel. That's the only activity the church needs to do. Because it's through the gospel that God will bring about all justice. And so all the scriptures that we read calling the church and God's people to care about justice in this world needs to be interpreted in that light as evangelistic preaching the gospel. That was one side. Then you had another side that said, no, when God talks about justice any time in the Bible, he is only talking about social justice. He's only talking about going after those who are oppressed and marginalized and helping the poor. 
And that there's not a place for the cosmic justice side of things. No, God has only called his people to care about the social justice side of things. And then because the more extreme you get, the more combative you get, what happened for a couple of years there is these two sides were just lobbing grenades at each other calling each other names, telling each other that you're not real Christians, doing it out in the media and social media for all to see. You know what I mean? Man, fruits of the Spirit, nowhere to be found. Anywhere. No patience, no gentleness, no peace, no kindness, no joy. Then you got God's Word. And we go, okay, what we want is we want to get what we believe from this. Not the talking points, not the sides. What does this have to say? And as we study God's word, here's, here's some of the things we learn. We learn that, number one, yes, all justice will be achieved ultimately at the cross of Jesus Christ and at the judgment at the end of the age. That every sin will be dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ or through judgment. And that, yes, the church is called to preach boldly and loudly the gospel so that people will hear this message of intervening grace and they'll give their lives over to Jesus and have their sins forgiven and they'll be justified in the sight of God. And at the same time, God says, you will represent my kingdom, my kindness, and my grace through going after the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor. You will represent my kingdom by opening your homes to the orphan. You will represent my kingdom by defending the fatherless and the widow. And God even saying things like in Isaiah 1, I don't even want your worship unless you're doing that. Because the way you represent the grace, the intervening grace that I have bestowed upon you in Christ is you go after those who are hurting and are marginalized and oppressed. So yes, the church cares about social justice and the gospel, it's both. And so when we preach what God's word actually says, what you see is both sides go, well, let's throw grenades at them too. And so one side will be like, well, hey, you don't care about people, and the other side, well, you don't care about the glory of God, and we're like, no, this is, this is what God's word says. And what we wanna do is we wanna represent that to the world with gentleness and patience and grace and kindness. Because that's what represents God's kingdom. And to stand on God's word means we got to be careful not to be swayed by the teachers that seek to make us deviate from what the scriptures actually say. And you will be persecuted for it. You will. You'll be persecuted by the irreligious and the religious. I'll give you one more example. Do I have time for that? Maybe. Um, God gives us in his scripture the moral law. He gives us a moral law. He tells us this is what's good and right and beautiful. God teaches us what is right when it comes to our work, what is right when it comes to money, what is right when it comes to our tongue and the things that come out of our mouth, what is right in the way that we treat others, what is right when it comes to sexuality and marriage, what is right when it comes to a lot of things. God gives us a moral law. And you'll have one side who will say, well, no, grace has taken care of all of that. The way you live your life doesn't matter. Jesus' grace will be applied to all no matter what they do with this life. 
They're taking away from what God's word says. But on the other side, you have people say, no, unless you follow the moral law in such a way that we approve of, then we're going to question your salvation altogether. And then yet we look at God's word and we read these things that when we come to faith in Christ, Christ has begun a work of sanctifying grace inside of us. And he's going to cause us to live according to his moral law over, but we're not going to be perfect at it. And yet it's not the moral law that makes God intervene in our lives with his grace in the first place. That it's not Jesus plus the moral law that gets us into heaven. It is Jesus and Jesus' grace only. And yet, he does call us to live with Christ-like character and to follow the moral law because it's what's good for us and right for us. It's not the way to salvation. It's how we live a life of joy glorifying our king. We have to be careful about the subtle ways both irreligious and religious, that teachers might pull us away from what the word of God says. God has called his people to represent this word to the world with the fruits of the Spirit. And so I, 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 have to, I have to make this clear. If we are unwavering in defending this, if we are unwavering in proclaiming the word of God. But we do it with harshness. We do it with snarkiness. We do it by lobbing grenades, calling names. Then we are not defending the glory of God. We are not representing our king. We're not protecting anyone from heresy. We are not defending his fame. Because God has called us to do this with patience in gentleness, in grace, in kindness, because that is Christ-like character. That's what it means to represent our king. Our posture is we sit under the word of God because of his grace, and together, together, not alone, together we seek to learn what God's word says, to wrestle with it, and to let it form character in us. And so let me give another shameless plug to our group's ministry here because this is what we're after in our group's ministry. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. As you know, we have been in a, uh, we're doing seasons in our groups uh, and that's kind of our discipleship process here at Grace Hill. And the first season that we've been doing as groups is sharing our stories with one another, getting to know each other in a more deep and intimate way, creating those safe spaces. And the second season that you're going to be going into as your group finishes stories is studying the book of Ephesians together. So we're going to study God's word together. We're going to spend time digging into it, asking questions, trying to learn what it says. But then we're going to spend time encouraging and exhorting one another in God's word. Together, going underneath God's word with this posture coming underneath and helping each other live it out. Help each other believe what it says. Lock arms when we know, man, this one's gonna be hard because you don't have to do that alone. We do that together. And that's exactly what we're gonna be doing in groups. And when 
We're unclear on what it says when we have questions, when maybe there's different opinions and perspectives about what God's word says. You know what we do? We let the fruits of the Spirit be our guide to our dialogue and our conversation and our pushback and our wrestling and letting the word of God reprove and rebuke and challenge and train us in righteousness. We do that with gentleness and patience and peace as we seek to follow God's word, and we stand on guard against the temptation to deviate from it and to follow teachers away from what God's word says. And so my question for us this morning is this, is what is our posture towards God's word? Is it our anchor in life? Is it the place where we get truth and beauty in goodness? Do we receive it as someone who's been a recipient of God's intervening grace and we go, God, anything that you give, I will follow and see as good because of what you have done in my life. You know, in answering this question, what is my posture towards God's word? That can be a really, that can be a question that we can easily gloss over. You know, it'd be very easy for any of us to be like, oh yeah, I'm with God's word. Amen. Brother, I got it. Love it. But what if we slow down a bit? Here's a tough question. I've been wrestling with this all week. Here's a tough question that will help you answer this. Is God's word allowed to disagree with you? Is God's word allowed to say something that you don't agree with? Is God's word allowed to say something, a truth, a command, whatever it is, that you have a hard time with? And are you willing, even in the midst of that, to say, yet, God, your ways are higher than mine. Yet, God, you are good. And I'm going to trust, I trust you over I trust myself. What Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3 is they trusted themselves over you. So it plunged the whole world into this thing. And so yet, God, I'm going to trust you. What would be those areas where you go, gosh, I have a hard time with that one? God, I don't know if I, dis- I, don't know if I agree with you on this. Because you can feel that. You can acknowledge that. You don't have to hide that. But my question is, in the midst of that, what is your posture towards God's word? And so what I want to challenge you to do in your bulletins or as you were coming in, you were passed out these reflection questions. And as I said, this isn't just a sermon series. It's a discipleship journey that we're going on together. And my encouragement to you is that you would take these questions and you would get a friend, um, get someone in your community group, someone in your family, whoever it is, and sit with these questions. Read the scriptures. Again, these questions are designed to be probing in your life. Help each other discern the answers to these questions as we seek to ask, what is my posture towards God's word? And last thing, and then I'm done. Band, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, you can. I'll just say this. Next week, as we, I'm sorry, not next week. Evan's preaching next week. In two weeks, um, we'll be doing uh, part three of this series. And we're going to stay in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. We're going to do one more week on God's word. And what we're going to talk about specifically is, okay, Alan, I get everything you said today about God's word, and I agree with it, amen, I'm with you, but how do I know that the book you're holding, the 66 books in this Bible, are reliable, a reliable reflection of God's word? 
How do I know that the, that the way that this was copied through the centuries from their original manuscripts is something I can trust? Why were these 66 books picked and not others? The Catholic Bible has other books. The Orthodox Bible has other books. How do I know that everything you just said is reflective of what's in this book? That's what we're going to hit in two weeks, all right? Not next week, but the week after. We're going to be talking about the reliability of the Bible. And so I hope that you'll join us for that. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, that you don't make us guess. You don't make us shoot in the dark when it comes to who you are and what it means to follow you. You tell us everything in your word. And God, we confess it's sometimes hard to follow your word. We experience the very things we were warned of in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. Pressure from the culture, things in your word that are challenging to us and hard for us to accept. So God, we ask for your protection. We ask, God, that you would show us the goodness of your word as we dive into it and study it together. God, we're thankful that in the midst of the hardest things that life throws at us, we have your word to guide us. Like I think of my friend who I know is hurting today feels like he's lost everything. Lord, I pray that you would, by your grace and your gentleness, lead him to your scriptures and he would, he would see that you have not stopped loving him. That you haven't disowned him, you haven't fired him. That all of the promises that you have made to him are still true and are still right. Pray for any of us in this room today who have a hard time believing in that intervening grace. And God, by your word, would you show us the sureness of your promises? God, I pray for your church, that your church across this nation and across this world would have the courage to stand for your word. And that they would have the courage to do it with gentleness and peace and patience and kindness self-control that God as we represent your word we would do it representing your character God our nation is going through a lot think about Tyra Michaels and more demonstrations and more conversation about law enforcement and more conversation about race and more conversation about justice. And Lord, it, it just feels like another time where it's time to lob the grenades again. I just pray your church would stand up and say, no, it's a different way. That we would care for people well who are hurting. That we wouldn't get swept into myths or follow teachers who have other agendas. But God, in the midst 
of everything that is heated in our culture today, your church would stand as a steady presence with gentleness and grace and patience. And they would declare the grace, the intervening grace of God. Give us the courage, God, to be able to do that because we want to represent you faithfully. In Christ's name, amen.